every single note that I play matters. Every nuance matters. Where I hit the drum, how I hit the drum, when I hit the drum, the combination of rhythm, it all matters. And then it occurred to me, since every note matters, what I'm actually doing is I'm attaching a sense of purpose to every single note. And when I attach a sense of purpose to every single note that I play or every single word that I say, that drives more passion. And then the passion feeds the purpose. It's like a cycle of empowerment, so to speak. The purpose is why we do it. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now, in this episode, we are once again going to fuse the worlds of influence and rock and roll. However, unlike previous times we've broached this topic, today's question isn't about what it takes to show up like a rock star. What it takes to show up when all eyes are on you and the stakes feel skyscraper high and you have the opportunity to make a huge impact because everybody is watching. Instead, today, we're going to talk about the opposite. We're going to talk about what it takes to still show up like a rock star when one seemingly ordinary morning you wake up and your entire audience has disappeared. Now, in order to do that, I have once again called upon the incredible Mark Shulman, author, speaker, incredibly insightful human being, and well and truly at the top of the performance tree as the lead drummer for Pink. Now, Mark has performed for over 1 billion people, 1 billion people, touring with world-class performers such as Cher, Billy Idol, Simple Minds, Beyonce, Tina Turner. He is also the author of the very fitting Conquering Life's Stage Fright, in which he interviews global powerhouses like Tony Shea, CEO of Zappos, Jeremy Piven, actor from The Entourage, Alan Bean, Apollo 12 astronaut, of course, in order to translate the magic of world-class performance. Now, he is just one of the most curious minds you will ever come across. And I, I know that's going to come across today in spades. He has spent most of his career when he's not on stage performing in stadiums around the world, trying to decode what it takes to show up, reframe your fears and own what you've got with every cell in your body. And his number one superpower, other than drumming, is his ability to maintain what he describes as a rock star mindset. And a rock star mindset is pretty much just the belief that the attitude and energy levels we choose become the primary fuel for any world-class performance. And that everything, down to the phone call you just took and the tweet you're probably about to send, is a form of performance. So today we pick right back up where we left off, however this time in a whole new world diving straight into why world-class always begins where our comfort zone ends. And seriously, this one itself is just a post-it note to stick above your desk. Why world-class always begins where our comfort zone ends. How your attitude is both your vantage and your disadvantage point. 
Mark's favourite equation, and let's face it, it's not often you get to discuss mathematics with a rock star. A times B equals C. Attitude times behaviour equals consequence. How to embrace the fact that you always have the ability to respond, even and especially when situations feel out of control. How Mark has taken a huge dose of his own advice in 2020, when all his events, concerts, and in his world, sources of income were cancelled or disappeared within one 48-hour period. Why it's not about what you say or play, but how you say or play it. In other words, how you show up and embody the impact that you're trying to have. And finally, why clarity plus capability plus competence, I know, there's a lot of equations going on here, are the three main steps to top performance. What I what I would love you to reflect on while you're listening to this particular conversation is exactly this. If the lights came on and the music started and tens of thousands of people were waiting to watch you perform, how would you show up? Now I want you to turn off those lights Take away that audience and remove any element of certainty that you had about the future. Could you, would you, or will you show up just as hard? And with that, I'm going to leave you to soak up the most curious, unstoppable, infectious human being that I have ever met. The rock star himself, Mark Shulman. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark Shulman. So good to have you back, man. As one of my favorite people on the planet, you're like my soul sister and my Aussie soul sister. Uh, I tell you what, I have I have missed a dose of you this year. I have very much missed <laughs> our know. random coffee catch-ups and talking about AI taking over the planet. It's 2020. 2021 is going to be much better. We're going to get to hug each other. All of us. It's going to be great. All right. I'm just, I'm just going to kick straight in with you because it's, it's good to have you back. And I've been thinking about you a lot over the past few months because you know what, one of the reasons that people love you the way that they do, that I love you the way that I do is that, you know, you, you've you really embody this rock star attitude. You really embody a rock star mindset a mindset that, you know, we have to show up and we have to perform and and give it our best. And I've just been thinking, I've been channeling you, channeling you a lot. And I, I wanna I wanna kick off there. Like what for you, what is a what does a rock star mindset look like over the past, well, 2020? Let's just call it 2020. <laughs> well, uh, my flagship speaking program and the book that I'm co-writing with my dear friend and one of the great thinkers on the planet, Dr. Jim Samuels, is all about essentially the power of attitude. Now, my uh, speaking title is called Hacking the Rockstar Attitude. So what the rockstar attitude is essentially a powerful attitude, an attitude of action and an attitude of just being world-class at any cost. I mean, one of the things I heard recently when I was listening to some of the podcasts that inspire me is the world-class begins where our comfort zones end. So essentially, this whole concept of attitude, because a lot of people go, yeah, attitude, schmattitude, I've been hearing about attitude my whole entire life. But the truth is, 
we know as evidenced of all years of all times in history that we cannot control what happens to us, but we have the power at any moment in time, like this second, you, me, we all have the power, change, shift, or choose our attitudes about what is happening to us. And that puts the power back with us because your attitude is essentially your point of view. I call it your vantage point or your disadvantage point, depending upon the attitude that you choose. But let's face it, it's not what we look at, it's what we see and perceive that determines our experiences. And attitude is so incredibly powerful because the way that we view ourselves, the lens through which we see the world, the meaning that we attach to people, places, and circumstances, it's all based on basically the story or stories that we tell ourselves. And these stories are based on our attitude. So when I, when I sort of coach people, I say, so what is your story? Is your story a comedy? It's a comedy, great. Is it a melodrama? Is it a murder mystery? I mean, it can get really, really super great or super dire, depending upon the attitude you choose. But attitude is the foundation of this extraordinary formula because your attitude is actually what drives your behavior. Now think about that for a minute because that's very, very powerful. So by choosing the attitude, you're actually driving behavior and one attitude can drive many behaviors and your behavior is what determines the consequences of your life. So yes, I am absolutely suggesting that by shifting or choosing an attitude, you can drive more desirable behavior and produce more desirable consequences or outcomes. And people are unaware of the power that they have to be able to create that shift. Um, and I think what it comes down to is when you hear about something like this, like a formula that's so simple, because I really believe in simplicity. The more simple we can make it, this is A times B equals C. Attitude times behavior equals consequence. I literally say it's easy as ABC. But when you hear about a formula like this, are you the kind of person who says, oh, whatever, I'm just going to ignore it? Are you the kind of person who's interested? Are you the kind of person who's committed? Because if you ignore it, You'll never know. If you don't try it on, quote unquote, or unpack it for yourself, you'll never know. If you're interested, uh, you might try it. You might tell yourself some story as to why it doesn't apply to you. But if you're committed, you just do it. And that to me is the rock star attitude, if you will. Because the rock star people, the rock star performers show up. And if they see an opportunity or if they learn about something that has so much potency, they simply do it and they try it on and they see for themselves. What I loved, what I loved about that is the, that, the simplicity, to use your word, the simplicity of that question. What's your story? You know, if you had to define your story, would it be a days of our lives? Would it be an episode of Friends? Is it going to be a horror film? Like, what is your story? And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot this year and I haven't always been great at it, is the idea of being responsible. The idea, so what does it mean to be responsible? What does it mean to be responsible um, for the planet? What does it mean to be responsible for my community? What does it mean to be responsible for my life, my business, my family? Um, because being responsible is the opposite of victim, right? To be responsible. And I keep coming back to this definition of the word, which is to be responsible is to embrace the fact that you have the ability to respond. Responsible. I have the ability to respond. And if you keep coming back to that, I have the ability to respond here. I have the ability to pivot, to change, 
to reinvent, to rewrite the story. That abil- As long as you have the ability to respond, you have the ability to be responsible for your life and the outcomes. The opposite of that is to, you know, especially with everything that's going down, collapse into a pit of, you know, anxiety and fear, which is so easy to do. And I know for you, you know, we, we've talked and you were saying, you know, you lost, you lost like double whammy there. You know, you've got, we were saying last year, you were booked out as a, as a speaker around the world. You were doing a huge European tour with Pink. There was, and then both of those things shut down this year. There's no touring. Suddenly, you know, all conferences and events shut down. How have you, how have you managed your own mindset in amongst all of that? Well, we talked about this before we were rolling, so I'll reiterate it now because, you know, I love simplicity and I break it down to how do we manage change? Quite simply, this is a big change. And if you want to be very simple, there are two basic ways of managing change the way I see it. You either embrace it or you resist it. Now, I will tell you, my keynote, I call a rock show disguised as a keynote. It's so high energy. I play drums live. I interact with people. I bring people on stage. So the story I was telling myself is I could never do that virtually. People are talking about virtual presentations. I could never do that. And it created anxiety and fear because when you resist something, you are literally focusing on what you resist. Because we, we whatever we focus on is what we manifest, whether it's something that is something desirable for us or is something undesirable. If you're focusing on the fear and the anxiety and the resistance, that's what you get. And I woke up one morning and I said, hey, idiot, what story are you telling yourself right now? And then what I did is I embraced it. And the moment I embraced the change, that's when the magic happens because that's when we start to become more creative. And once it has to do with what you're talking about, it has to do with taking responsibility, taking, being culpable, being responsible for what you can control, because there's so much that we can't control, as I talked about earlier. So I can control designing a virtual presentation. And so I went off the charts, man, and I designed this really cool, interactive, believe it or not. I play drums. I use a green screen. I have audience. I have even a little bit of what you see right now, even when I do a simple Skype interview now, because I've learned so much about the technology. I embrace the technology. So I'm now literally presenting something that I want people to think more more of it like a, a bit of entertainment or a movie or a rock show than a keynote. But that's because I embraced it as opposed to resisted it. And that goes back to what you were talking about. I took responsibility. I responded with an acceptance and a desire to do something and take action that I could control as opposed to resisting it, which I would still be, you know, sort of in my bed (laughs) (laughs) Because let's face it, I am part of two of the industries, you're right, the entertainment industry, the live entertainment industry, and the the conventions industry shut down. I'm part of those two industries. Now, fortunately, this year we were taking off from Pink anyway, but this was going to be my windfall year. In March and April, I had 19 speaking gigs in two months alone that postponed or canceled. That's 
that, that can set somebody into literally shell shock. That could throw somebody into a tizzy where you would never get out of it. So am I going to, again, embrace it or resist it? So by embracing the virtual presentations, now I'm doing it virtually. And it's starting to really take off. It's taken a little longer than I thought, but people are realizing, wow, this guy has some solid content, but he's presenting something that's very, very exciting. And I still, you know, has that rock star attitude as you talked about. And, I th you know, that always, that's one of the things, one of the many things that it, that really impresses me about how you are in the world. I mean, you, you talk about showing up as a performer. Everything is about showing up and you really double down. I mean, people can't see what I can see right now because we're audio, but behind, envisage behind Mark right now is a green screen where there is literally a live pink concert happening behind his head. It looks, you know, it looks incredible. And it's that, it's that decision, right? And I want to go back to something else you said to me that I have replayed over and over in my head ever since we had that conversation. And it's this line, I get to do this. I get to do this. I don't have to do this. I don't have to. I get to do this. And every time I have been fearful, which is plenty of times this year, any times I have been fearful or any time I'm about to do something that is way outside of my comfort zone, you know, you said world class begins when your comfort zone ends and you, you go into that fear spiral, right? Which is like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I can do, I could do anything. But I'm going to go and raise chickens somewhere. Where is there a place where I can raise chickens? <laughs> and I, I keep coming back to that. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. I am so fortunate that I have an opportunity to push myself. I have an opportunity to do something different. I have an opportunity to do something that scares me because not everybody has that opportunity and I get to do it. So, so let's show up. How hard can we show up? And you always show up so freaking hard in everything that you do. And, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you because I think that with everything having gone virtual, we've talked about, I think that that creates a story, again, a story about the fact that, well, you know, if I was going to pitch for business this way in person, I don't have to show up as hard virtually. I'm just going to sit here with my kitchen behind me and and do almost like a half-assed version of what I would have done if I could have done it properly. The same with presentations. You know, I'm going to do less than I would have done if I could have done it properly. And you didn't do that. You don't do that. You know, you're going to show up as hard, if not harder in this virtual environment. So I wanted to get practical in that how how do you take something that is so huge, you know, drumming on stage in front of ten, tens of thousands of people, playing drums on, on stage in front of a thousand people, how do you take that and how did you kind of condense it into a screen format? What what was your thought process? What was your process there to make sure it didn't lose anything at all? Well, they are actually very different mediums because when I'm performing on stage, I'm playing drums and I am there basically to be of service to the artist, Pink, the band, and the audience. And I'm playing drums, so it's a single thing that I'm doing, but I'm not the central focus. I'm not the one that needs to entertain, who needs to engage, and who needs to inform the audience. I am supporting Pink. That's kind of her gig. Now, of course, the gig of a drummer is incredibly important. We are the foundation, and there are four people out of 225 people on that tour that if any one of us can't do the gig, the gig don't go. <laughs> That's the drummer, me, bass player Eva, Justin, the guitar player, and Jason, one of the keyboard players and musical director, of course, Pink. But everybody else can miss a gig. We can't. And I actually 
realized that only about two years ago. We don't have understudies like they do on Broadway. Like if an actor can't do it or they're sick, they have an understudy. They have a substitute. We don't travel with substitutes. So I may go on stage with fever. I may go on stage nauseous. I may go on stage not feeling so well. But if I can walk, I'm going to go on that stage anyway, and I'm going to play my butt off. And part of it comes from making a decision. You know, I talk about how I had this conversation with Billy Idol once. We were writing a song in my studio. And Billy was talking about his early performance experiences with, uh, you know, when he was playing back in his punk band in Gen X. And he said, you know, mate, I used to get on stage and I would sing every note like it was the last note I would ever sing. I thought, whoa, dude, or mate, I would call him. That's deep. What a level of commitment. He'd go, I'd sing every single note like my life depended on it. I think I sound more like Captain Jack than Billy Idol, but, you know, sorry, you know. <laughs> And he said that, I thought, that is heavy. What a level of commitment. I never thought about my performance that way. But what if I did? And that's when it really hit me that it's not just about what we play, it's about how we play it. It's not about what you say, it's about how you say it. So there's a way of elevating, taking something simple and elevating it so it then becomes an experience. And after Billy left and I started to really think about what I was already doing, but I started to become philosophical about it. So why I turned to speaking is because I realized I had so much information and so much philosophy and top performance is top performance in any field. And I've been playing with all these incredible artists. But what I realized after Billy left is when I sit behind the drums, every single note that I play matters. Every nuance matters. Where I hit the drum, how I hit the drum, when I hit the drum, the combination of rhythm, it all matters. And then it occurred to me, since every note matters, what I'm actually doing is I'm attaching a sense of purpose to every single note. And when I attach a sense of purpose to every single note that I play or every single word that I say, that drives more passion. And then the passion feeds the purpose. It's like a cycle of empowerment, so to speak, because people always talk about passion, 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 but the passion can wear down. The passion may be how we play it. The purpose is why we do it. And if you are really attached to the why when you're doing anything, then you will drive purpose and you'll become more passionate and you'll have more fun. You'll have a better time and you will perform at a higher level. And these are sort of the things that I figured out. And it's all based on the attitude that you can choose. And by the way, what you mentioned earlier, one of the attitude shifts that I talk about when I speak is sh shifting your have to's to a get to. It's so simple, but it makes such a big difference. It's a reframe. Because when you think about something you have to do, like it becomes like a chore. Whereas if you reframe it to a get to, it becomes a choice. And then even the most mundane things can be more fun. And a have to feels like you're the effect, whereas a get to feels like you're in the cause position. I'm sure that all of us would rather be in the cause position of what we want than the effect of what we do not want. And it's all about what kind of life experience do you want to have? Because you have the power through your attitude shifts and through being conscious and through being responsible, like, you're like you were saying earlier, being culpable. Because it is your responsibility. 
It's my responsibility to assume these attitudes and viewpoints. I believe that to be true. I've taken that on as part of my personal development and my personal mantra. And that's why I became a speaker, because I realized that I could leverage the quote unquote celebrity I had and really create value because I want to create more value on this goddamn planet. Really? That's another thing that that got me. I just want to double down there a second. That's another thing that got me this year when I was thinking about you Um, and kind of, you know, text checking in on each other. This isn't your first rodeo. You know, this, you, you've disrupted yourself before. And I find that people who are in the driver's seat of disrupting themselves on a regular basis, they seem to take disruption in a whole different kind of a way. Because, you know, you, we've talked before where you were saying, you know, when everybody else was on the tour bus drinking and dancing and partying, you were on the tour bus with your headphones in, reading books, um, interviewing people, starting to write your own books, planning, you know, how you could convert this on stage and, and redefine your entire career. Well, I was doing some dancing and partying too. Don't get me. <laughs> Before or after, I'm not even going to ask what came first. But that, but, but that commitment to consistently disrupt yourself then means that when disruption comes, you're like, yeah, this is part of my gig. I would have done this to myself anyway. Yeah. And it just means you treat it so much more lightly. Well, because I realize that I get to do it. And how do you want to spend your time? I'll, me- I'll never forget we were in uh, Paris with Foreigner. And I took my uh, iPad. I went to the Eiffel Tower. This is when you could get right below the Eiffel Tower. They didn't have it all protected and sectioned off. And I literally sat there up against a tree with the Eiffel Tower right there, writing my book on my iPad. I mean, it was, to me, that's the ultimate. Because I was doing something of value and I was still experiencing the culture and getting to taste and feel and smell. Because I do appreciate the moment and the now so much. It's just that how do you want to spend your time? You know, I said earlier, when I heard that saying, I wish I could remember who who said that. But, you know, the world class begins where your comfort zone ends. You need to kind of push that comfort zone a bit. You need to be your own disruptor. Because the reality is nobody's going to do it for you. And I'll tell you, being a quote-unquote world-class drummer playing with these great artists, it'd be so easy just to do that. And I love simply doing that. But I also know for me that there's something more. I'm compelled. I'm compelled to speak. I'm compelled to write. I'm writing my second book. It's just part of my makeup. It's part of who I am. And I wasn't always that way. As a kid, I could play drums really well. I didn't have to practice that much. I didn't really do my homework. I was smart enough. I could just kind of make it through school. So I developed this work ethic when I became an adult, not as a kid. So it is something that anybody can develop at any point. You just start to recognize possibilities. I think that one of the issues with people is we miss possibilities. We're not open and aware to what we can create. And I'll tell you, I learned that early on when there, when I was already doing well and playing with some big artists, but I missed a few really critical auditions. And I was very upset because I thought, I don't want to miss possibilities. I'll never forget hearing about the Stevie Nicks audition and mean I had never heard about it. Ironically, two years later, my dear friend Greg Bissonnette, who's another great drummer, said, hey, Stevie's auditioning again. That time I went and did the audition and I got the gig. I just want the opportunity. 
So for me, it's really critical that we recognize and manifest these opportunities when they are there. If not, we're just wasting precious time. What there's a lot of people, I think, in the at the moment in that in that place, right? Where disruption has happened. Um, we know we know we need to pivot. We know we need to recreate. We know we need to be looking for opportunities. It may be what we've always done. It may be something very different than we have always done. Any advice? I hate the word advice, but I can't think of anything better. Any any advice for for someone who sat in their lounge room or office right now, going, I know I need to to do something different. I just don't know where to start. My advice would be, start with what you are passionate about and start exploring. Start just looking at possibilities. I mean, we have the internet. It is like the most powerful information source. You can find out anything you want. If you want to go deeper, when I was doing writing my first book, you know, there's something called Google Scholar. It's a whole other level of Google. If you type it in, you'll see they have research papers and they have really technical stuff. There is so much possibility. So if you just wake up in the morning and remind yourself about all the possibility that's there and think about what turns you on, start exploring. And when you start exploring, I would imagine you will start to become excited and find things that inspire you. And, you know, remember, inspire is like in spirit. It's like things coming through you. You start to get really motivated and it almost becomes bigger than you. So if you are open to those possibilities, particularly in challenging times, and you're willing to do the work, just be willing to do the work. Because no, I also have a belief that if I do the work, sometimes I don't get rewarded immediately or in the way that I expect to be rewarded. But then all of a sudden, a reward will tap me on the shoulder, so to speak, and I'll gain something then, but I'll just gain it at a different time and in a different way than I anticipated to begin with. And I just think you need to be open to that. Just be open to amazing things that can actually happen, even in challenging times. Talk to me about collaboration. I want to I just change directions for a second because one of the things about um, – about disrupting yourself. One of the things about choosing another direction is you can do it by yourself if you want to, but it is so much better, faster, joyful and energizing to do it in collaboration with other people, to reach out and learn from other people and join groups, combine networks, whatever that looks like. I know you've been doing some really interesting collaborations. I've been watching you on Instagram doing different interesting collaborations with musicians where you're playing together online at the same time. What have you learned about the keys to that? Because it's it's difficult to collaborate when you can't be in the same room and be in that creative bubble together. What have you learned about collaborating with other performers, other artists when you can't be together? Well, I'm writing my second book with a man that I consider to be the mentor of my life. I met Dr. Jim 35 years ago. I was living in Portland, Oregon. And I was 22 years old and he was teaching these classes and I got so inspired by him. I stopped drinking. I stopped doing all the drugs for 17 years. I didn't even have a drink and it wasn't because I had a problem. I just said I wanted to get focused. And so Dr. Jim now is quote unquote my life coach. Dr. Jim created A times B equals C. So I wrote my first book, Conquering Life Stage Fright, Three Steps to Top Performance. 
And the three steps are the three C's, clarity, capability, and competence. And those are based on some concepts that Dr. Jim had. So this time around when I'm writing my second book, I thought, you know, I want to collaborate with Dr. Jim because it'd be fun and it's going to be a better book. So I'm interviewing all these top performers like I did for my last book because I love to interview other people and get their perspective. So now I'm interviewing people in all fields, you know, from, you know, the greatest salespeople to the greatest musicians to CEOs to professional athletes to uh, influencers on the power of attitude and their perspective on it. And then I'm giving the interviews back to Dr. Jim and we're kind of massaging the content together. Um, and it's so much more fun because with collaboration, it's like you have two minds instead of just one. And that's why I love collaboration because whenever I collaborate with something, somebody, they always see something that I didn't notice. And boy, do I love that. God, I love those. Those are my, some of my favorite moments on the planet is when someone else sees something that I didn't see. So rather than being jealous or pissed off, I go, whoa, that's fantastic. That's why I love listening to great thinkers. I mean, I'm, I'm a junkie for great podcasts, and I I love Tom Bilyeu and Impact Theory. That's He just, you know, on YouTube, he just interviews all these amazing people. And I'm just always listening to anybody from Mel Robbins to Dr. Joe Dispenza to Wayne Dyer to Tony Robbins, you know, any, I just try to absorb because I love to hear all these different viewpoints. Um, Guy Kawasaki, um, just anybody, you know, you were talking about wanting to buy real estate and I'm interested in, you know, getting more real estate. So I've been listening to a lot of real estate podcasts. Actually, I kind of stopped when COVID started because I realized the game's going to change. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. But I love it when I get an aha moment and I try to get at least one aha moment every single day where I hear something that makes me go, ah, that's great. And then I can take that and I can spin it and then I can use it to enhance what I do. I'm always upgrading my speech. I practice my speech every day. I get on the treadmill and I run on the treadmill and I practice a speech, but I also then start incorporating new things because I, I don't want to just do the same thing over and over, even if I have a basis like attitude times behavior equals consequence may be the basis. But I start to learn even some of the things that you're talking about today. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, the responsibility, the culpability and your definition of responsibility. I didn't write that down, but I'm going to get that <laughs> because I love the way that you said it. Because you said it in a different way than I'd ever heard before. And to me, that becomes valuable. I'm always looking for value. And I also have this philosophy that I'm here to be of service. Everything I really do, I believe that the greatest people really understand that we're all here to be of service. And so if I'm here to be of service, I'm just a conduit. You know, I have plenty of original ideas, but I'm also not afraid to give other people credit and then be the conduit of combining all these different ideas. I mean, that's what musicians do. I mean, there's 12 notes in the goddamn Western scale. It's all about how we copy and combine. We're all just copying each other, but combining it in a different way. There's only so much philosophy. There's very little brand new philosophy. It's just we're saying it in a way, in our own way. And I have a platform. I'm so fortunate and graced that I have the platform to be able to be this drummer dude and then be able to use that as leverage 
And I've studied very hard as a speaker. You know, I've studied with two speaking coaches, an acting coach, a director, a storyteller. I take the craft very seriously. But it all begins with the leverage that I have based on what I've been able to do with these great artists. And studying them, I learned so much from Pink, so much from Cher, so much from Billy Idol. I study all of them. I'm always watching their MO and their character and the decisions they make and how they handle situations. I mean, there's so much to learn from these great people. You know, I love that metaphor, the musical metaphor. You said you know, there's 12 notes. And one of the things about being a top performer or being, you know, having a platform or in any way standing up and stepping up is the understanding that you can't play all those notes alone. Like you are not going to be the best person to play all of those notes. Other people are going to have different pitches, different backgrounds, different, different instruments, different ways of playing those notes. And the more people you can pull in to your piece of music, your creation, your story, the more vibrant and attractive it's going to be. And then guess what? You know, there's this incredible accidental flow on effect that the larger your network's going to be. You create together, you're going to share it within your network. They're going to, if they're proud of it, they're going to share it within theirs. Everything just gets infinitely better when we collaborate and one of the things that I've been working on this year is the concept of putting a, a mastermind, a mastermind group together for for people who wanting to. <laughs> you're first in, my friend. Um, you know, for influencers who are changing the game, who are you know who are a changing the game with the messages that they put out there, but also changing the game, change, driving the conversation on different methods, different mediums, because we're having to adapt now. And I was thinking about, it and I thought, you know, I could do this myself. I could put this together, you know, I have enough connections and I know how to do it. And, you know, I could reap all the benefits myself. But you know what? It would just be so much better and so much more energizing. And I would love it so much more if I built it with somebody else. Because th there are notes that I can't play. There are plenty of notes that I can't play. And I don't know, I just think the more, you know, taking everything that you've said and layering on, you know, disrupt yourself, educate yourself, um, believe that you get to do this. You don't have to do this. And then bring in other people that are going to play the notes you can't play, energize you, expand your network. That is the path, right? That is the path for truly being the best that you can be, for, for being a performer in every sense of the word and then showing up hard after that. I didn't have a question there. I just, I'm so excited about what you're saying. I literally just repeated everything that you've just said. What you just said is beautiful. And what a recapitulation of everything that we've talked about. I, very quickly as well, I, I want to go back to something that you said at the beginning. Um, you talked about power of gratitude versus anxiety. Gratitude being a, a, a mindset of embracing. I get to do this. This is happening for me, not to me. And otherwise, anxiety being a resistance. Uh, this is happening to me. I'm going to push against it, swimming against the tide. There is nothing more exhausting or debilitating than swimming against the tide. That, when you said that, the first thing that came to my brain was, firstly, that's not a magic switch, right? That's not a decision that you make once and then, it, you know, <laughs> done, move on. That's a, that's a reset you have to do constantly, right? Does it feel that? Because it's felt that way for me. This is the year where I've re had to reset myself more than any other year. Constantly, every day, every morning. I mean, there are a few things that I talk about that I know are attitude shifts that work for me. And I'll tell you exactly, part of it's my morning ritual. I wake up in the morning and I smile. I just smile because I know that literally 
when you smile, truly smile, and it might start fake, but when you really smile, it changes your physiology. There's science that, that, that proves that. When you smile, you're activating hundreds of muscles in your face that actually send a signal to your body to relax and send endorphins to your brain. And I've experienced that. So I may start fake, but then when it becomes real, I'm actually feeling that difference. That's the first thing I do when I wake up. That along with, uh, I was taught something else, like 24 brand new hours. Like today is going to be better than yesterday. So I am literally like giving myself affirmations. And then I lie in bed and I think of at least three people for whom I'm grateful and three things about those people for whom I'm grateful. Because gratitude is fuel. It literally is fuel. There's a great speaker I just learned about, uh, Brett Culp. And I think he said something like, gratitude is an inoculation against the things that you think you're missing. Because when you're focused on gratitude, and the way that I see it is you're focused on uh, you're putting stock in what you got, the money in the bank, the fuel in the tank. You're, you're taking stock and celebrating your wins, your successes, your accomplishments, and other people's successes and wins and accomplishments. And it then literally becomes fuel because it's like, I just actually did a video, it's in my recent newsletter called Stacking Wins. That's another thing I do is Dr. Jim does the wins formula. Related to gratitude, it's very similar. So the first thing I do is I get up, take a drink of water, go to the bathroom, and I sit down and I do my wins. And what that stands for is W is what were yesterday's wins? And you're thinking about all the accomplishments. And what I do is I try to get the feeling. I try to relive them kinetically. So remember how I felt when that win happened. So it literally is changing my physiology. And it all matters. And I'm sort of celebrating the accomplishments and celebrating the feelings of those accomplishments because when you attach a feeling to something, it becomes so much more powerful and so much more real. And then you're very open to I, which is what improvements do you want to make? Because <laughs> we just celebrated the wins where we are far less resisting and resistant to our improvements. So then I'll write down improvements that I believe I need to implement in my life based on yesterday's experiences. And then N is so much fun because that, what are your next wins? What am I gonna accomplish today? And then it gets me really excited and motivated for the actions that I intend to accomplish and I will do it because I'm writing them down. It's like a contract to myself when I write down, down those next wins. And S is such a beautiful line. What would your state of mind be or what will your state of mind be when you accomplish those wins and what state of mind you want to carry with you all day. And I don't put the same state every day. Someday it might be like joyful power. Someday, some days it may be confidence. Some days it may be compassion. Some days it may be loving communication, depending upon what my experiences have been. But then I'm focusing on this state that I am creating this attitude, essentially, that I am creating that I want to manifest this particular day. So today, I had a very specific state of mind I wanted to be in because I was giving a live one-hour keynote from my, we call it the gallery, the studio. And wow. So my state of mind that I wanted to be was 
completely present for others, completely selfless and loving my audience before I give any speech. That's the biggest thing I think about is loving the audience because I am here to be of service because it takes me out of my own trepidation, my own concerns about what, what if I forget what I was going to talk about? What if I blow this? What if I say this differently? All this, all this stuff. And I go, you know what? It ain't about you, sucker. It's about them. I'm here to be of service to them. So if I love them and I focus on them, then everything always works. It's the same thing with my family. God, I you know, used to joke with, you know, with my wife, I'd much rather be happy than right. Yeah, babe, you know what? I'm, I'd rather be happy than right. But today was a very special day because I gave a live keynote and at the exact same time, another company was playing one of my pre-recorded keynotes that I did for them a month ago. <laughs> and so I got this double whammy of endorphins from getting the response from two different clients. I was literally like teleporting myself in a way, but it just felt like such an amazing feeling of service for people across the world in two completely different industries. And that's the ultimate to me. What's better? I mean, what is better than being of service to somebody else? And to feel like you've done something that is literally going to improve their life, change who they are based on who you've allowed yourself to be. And that's the thing. And I get emotional today. I got to do a full hour. So with the full hour, the last thing I do is I perform a song that I wrote for my daughter. And it, you, well, I, this is pre-recorded, but when I tell the story, it usually moves me to tears. And it did. And they're real tears. And, you know, because my daughter's a little miracle. We weren't supposed to be able to have children. I've got a 10-year-old perfect kid who kicks my ass. She's a, a, a brown belt in martial arts. And she, she kicked me in the, che in, in, in the chest the other day just for fun and was lightly. And I said, you know, if she kicked me in the ribs with any velocity at all, this 72-pound kid would have broken my ribs and knocked me over. <laughs> I thought, talk about gratitude, baby. I don't need to buy the shotgun for this kid. She's going to take care of herself. Ha-ha! <laughs> now that's America. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've I've seen her. I've... I took a twister. I went, I went in a very different, you know, a stream of consciousness. No, I thought that was, uh, that was the perfect direction. And, you know, usually at this point in the interview, I would... I would ask you the question, you know, what's, what's the one thing you want people, what's the one people you want people to know? What's the one thing you want people to think about when they wake up tomorrow morning based on, on what you have to give? And you might have something else, but what I've written down here is, you know, how can you be of service to other people based on who you've allowed yourself to be? And, you know, emphasis on that word allowed, not who you've, you know, struggled to be, not who you've you know, you know, become because all these opportunities, the stars have aligned and the heavens opened and the angels pointed to you and went, oh, ha, ha. you know, no, based on who you've allowed yourself to become. Who you've chosen to be. Yeah. Remember, it's all about choosing the attitude. It's a choice. It's a moment to moment choice. I may shift my attitude dozens of times in a day 
to drive that behavior to produce those consequences that I know that I want to produce. And it's that to allow it to be that simple. It's that simple. Who are you going to, how are you going to get out of your own way? Who are you going to allow yourself to be? Who are you going to choose to be? Who are you going to give yourself permission to be? Because ain't no one else going to do it. No one's going to do it for you. Well, my friend, we couldn't do this in person this time. Right. Roll on, roll on 2021. I'll be, I'll be in, in your driveway. Yeah. Ready to roll. I love it. You know, it's so amazing. We are so far away on this planet from each other. And I feel so close to you spiritually and emotionally. So I'm really grateful for that. You're just, it's like you're coming through this screen. You have so much intention and so much love and you're a really amazing woman. And, uh, Congratulations for being you, Julie. <laughs> From you, that's that's. I'm going to take that compliment. Thanks again, hon. Great, my friend. Mwah. Big love to you and your family. so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence now for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business an enterprise or spreading an idea there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website juliemasters.com pop in your email address it is free we will not spam you but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work it's called the influencer code it's not long but it is full of value so download it keep it share it juice it for all it is worth I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.